mysterious murders, mass hysteria, and hasty marriages, Mapleton, Massachusetts meets a mummy in The Mummy's Tomb. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Which, we don't even see the mummy's tomb in this one, really. Except for in the flashbacks. No, it's just a cool name. <laughs> no, well, the cool name was the mummy's hand. Because the mummy's hand <laughs> actually gets a workout in this movie. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. The bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we are discussing the mummy's tomb. And with me today is the world's worst checker player, Alex. And that white dust on your face, Eric. Ooh. <laughs> the mold. <laughs> Alex, uh, a couple of, of listeners have commented to us or, or have requested that maybe we take some a few of these Universal films and combine them as double feature episodes. Yes. And I think that's a valid idea. I think we definitely could have paired The Mummy's Tomb with The Mummy's Hand and been perfectly fine and probably had a better episode overall to go with The Mummy's Hand. Wouldn't you agree? I th- well, maybe because I th- yes and no cuz like The Mummy's Hand episode uh, you know, it it it's a pretty lackluster movie. Now, we haven't talked about what we feel like about this one, but yeah. there's more to this one. So we probably wouldn't have been able to dunk on Mummy's hand as much as we would have liked. No. If we double featured them. Now, at the time, I did feel that, eh, maybe we should double feature. But now that we've checked this one out, I'm actually like, I'm glad we didn't. Because I feel like we probably wouldn't be able to give this one quite its due. Well, some of the films in um, the, the Mummy cinematic universe, I'm thinking... Uh, Scorpion King 2, Rise of the Warrior, of course. Uh, definitely deserve their own episode yeah. a- at some point. But I think I think the next two Mummy films we might be able to put together uh, into a one episode sort of double feature. What do you think? I think it's something that we can definitely look into. But I, I'm kind of like with you, like when we get to Scorpion King 4, Quest for Power, it's definitely going to uh-huh. get its own episode. Yeah, definitely. Well, I also know House of Frankenstein. I think it's House of Frankenstein. Is it House of Dracula? There's two of them back to back. Yes. That I've I've heard we should pair together. So we'll probably pair the House films together and probably the next two Mummy films together as double features. But one other thing, Alex, uh, before we jump in, last week I I said who who other than uh, Akira Takarada has been in more. Godzilla films. And of course, we were corrected by, by multiple I, people. I said that there would be somebody. You, you said, but you, uh, yeah. And you doubted yeah. me. No, you doubted me. Don't drag me down into your side of things where you were wrong. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't think of anybody. And I don't, Akira Takarada is still, in my eyes, probably the most prominent. But Kenji Sahara is, features the most in 
Godzilla films because he just sneaks in everywhere. Even in the films <laughs> that you don't think he's in, he's in, right? Mm. Uh, and I should have known Kenji Sahara was, was in all of them because mm. he just is, right? He's yeah. Kenji Sahara. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, man. And I, I think there are a couple others, but I think Takarada just features such a prominent role. I mean, he's he's never he's never really a background character. I'm probably going to get corrected on that too. <laughs> he's he's rarely a background character. He usually has a lead role in these movies, so he just plays a, a prominent role in multiple eras of Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, he does, he does, and you, you were almost right. I'm sure, Eric. <laughs> Almost right. <laughs> Almost right. Um, well, also, Alex, before we begin, I, I want to do our Patreon shout-outs today. First off, we have our lovely executive producer, Faye, um, who's going to be joining me in a couple of weeks for kind of a Lost World special NVM um, Plus episode, which will be fun. She is a huge fan of The Lost World, Uh-oh. so I'm excited to hear her take on that movie when we get into our Jurassic Park series, of course. But but you're not talking about The Lost World Jurassic Park, or are you talking yes, about The Lost Yes, oh, I am are. talking about okay. The Lost World Jurassic Park. I am. Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, Jamie Swift. Oh, director also. of Underwater. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jamie Swift, if you remember, he likes our podcast because he was if I'm if I'm correct on this, he he wanted to be or he was studied to be an English teacher, I believe. Uh and so he, he thinks like our our podcast kind of hits that sweet spot for him between pretentiousness and these great genre films and just t- not taking ourselves too seriously. Mm. So I, I love having Jamie Swift on board and yeah underwater director is a secret patron of ours so (laughs) and then of course terry terry is one of those listeners that follows along and watches every film alongside us Mm -hmm. um he's He's a a, legend he's a legend he's a twitter follower he's (laughs) a letterboxed follower um we keep tabs on each other i like to see kind of where terry where terry's feeling things um and, and normally, we are on the same page, Terry and I. So, you three this week, we really appreciate you. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. Yeah, we appreciate you just as much as critics love Scorpion King, Book of Souls. Ooh. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Scorpion King 2, Rise of the Warrior, you got to get it on Blu-ray. Yeah. But if you do, you will not dislike yourself okay. <laughs> too much right. after know. watching that movie. Good to know. Yeah. All right, let's get into this week's Mummy film, though, shall we, Alex? Yeah. Well, The Mummy's Tomb doesn't harken back to all the Mummy movies before it, nor does it harken to the future in Scorpion King 2. It is a sequel to its direct predecessor, The Mummy's Hand. Does The Mummy's Tomb offer something different than The Mummy's Hand? And does this something different offer us a unique entity into the Universal Monster universe? Yeah, actually, unlike The Scorpion King 3 Battle for Redemption... I actually think that this film actually does have something interesting to add to the Mm. Universal Monster movies. Um, Despite wasting a sixth of its runtime with what I think is a useless (laughs) recap, Uh the film manages to be more interesting than the previous two entries in the series. For sure. On Twitter, I was speaking about this movie, uh, and someone mentioned, I think it was like Mass Phantom, 
uh, or something like that. I'm sorry if I had got it wrong. But he, he said something like about these movies kind of being proto-slashers for him. And while when I thought back on the previous two movies, I thought that that was maybe a ridiculous statement. Um, and I still kind of do <laughs> about the, those two. But when I was watching this one, oh, absolutely. This one has got like all the trappings that you see. And it really stuck with me. Like the so the last two, they didn't feel that way, but this one has got the tropes that you know, the slow walking, oh, yeah. lumbering villain who anytime they are off camera teleports <laughs> very mm-hmm. far, very quickly, somehow. And then, you know, they're just this, this unstoppable force that's just pretty much walking from point A to point B. And so that was pretty cool. I, I, Proto Slasher is probably a really great way to describe this movie in particular. Mm-hmm. And so I got to give them some props here about that. Yeah. What about you? Well, I saw that conversation that you had about this being a Proto Slasher film before I watched it. And I definitely had that in mind. And after watching, I have to say I agree. And I appreciate this <laughs> film for being that. And it's almost a completely unique entity to the Universal Horror series because of that no-holds-barred nature of these murders. And, I mean, you've got the 1942 smut also, Alex. Mm. (laughs) But no one is safe here, right? No one is safe. When you combine that element with the ending of this film, I think this is the best mummy film to date. Now, Mm -hmm. how much stock you put into that claim probably depends on how you view the original mummy film which I did like, in which we see some of the same thematic elements appear here. For example, we've got the idea of the sins of the father definitely coming back, which is an idea that we explored in the original, and which definitely feels natural for a mummy film because, you know, the mummy is this generational monster uh, that just keeps on coming back. Yes, we get that 10-minute introduction that you mentioned that recaps the previous film, But I think it works for this narrative, actually, because it takes the best parts of the mummy's hand, (laughs) which is about 10 minutes of that movie, and distills (laughs) it into a folk tale told by a fire, which I like. It absolutely sets the stage for the next 50 minutes to follow. I just hate it so much. (laughs) The first 10 minutes. I, I do appreciate what they're going for, but it goes on for far too long. It could have been trimmed down additional five See, I had already forgotten about half of that stuff anyway, so I was fine with oh, it. Oh, well, that's because you you, you uh, righteously blocked it from your memory, as you yeah. should. Um, <laughs> um, but what the one thing that the opening does do, especially if you maybe didn't catch the last movie, or well, it's only been a couple of years, so I doubt you forgot it yeah. completely, but what it does do is set up how surprising the murders are in this film. Yes. Uh, which is cool, you know. The uh, the main cast is wiped out in this mm-hmm. film. Uh, the well, main cast from the previous film is wiped out in this one, which is just a really very cool element that I absolutely loved. Um, and then there's some other interesting elements in this that I really noticed. You know, this one will shock and stun audiences when I point it out. And Eric, you kind of mentioned it already, but this might be the first film where I've seen two grown men playing checkers together instead of chess. <laughs> <laughs> Film always has the playing chess. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, talk about first. Then we've also got this bad guy. You know, he's perpetually pouty. This poor man, he's always sad. But 
He's also got raised eyebrows at all times. So he's, you know, probably some sort of commentary on being a, you know, alone and concerned in, in a perpetual state of existence or something. Uh-huh. I don't know. He's just a ridiculous bad guy, I think. Seriously, though, <laughs> I actually kind of like him, even though he's ridiculous. <laughs> like, mostly because he's, A, he's pretty weird. And he's, like, yeah. totally sniffing yeah. for this blonde that he doesn't know anything about. He's just seen. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and he just like watches her from behind a tree he doesn't really see her do a whole lot but there he is he's in love and he tries to force her to love him and then well he even like loses control of his mummy at one point because of his love which was interesting to see even though he does regain control well, but i just i did think his moments were kind of cool and it gave him a lot more depth than our previous bad guy who's just like trying to do his thing this guy at least like found love now was a creepy stalker kidnappy love maybe but love nonetheless and the mummy <laughs> well he pushed my suspension of disbelief to the absolute max and then exceeded it at times which these slasher movies in general do when they have the slow walking zombie oh, movies yeah. do that for me i really hate it to be quite frank, even though I like some of them or a lot of them, even, but that those elements of it are always things that I do not like. And so, you know, like Babe getting trapped by this thing that can't even move hardly in an alley that he had a he had an open he has an open street behind him. He's got an open street all around him, and he runs into this little area where he could have easily <laughs> ran around the mummy. But here we are getting well, choked to death in the trash. It, it doesn't bother me too much, uh, honestly. I, I don't know. I didn't think about it. Uh, it just feels like that that's par for the course when you have this type of film, it right? Is. If you need a justification, you just blame it on the supernatural elements of the mummy. I mean, he go. does look at somebody and that person just absolutely faints. So, and go. goes into a shock and a coma um, by staring at it. So, that's I mean, this, this mummy has supernatural powers, probably, Alex. But... <laughs> I actually love this mummy here. I, I liked yeah. Boris Karloff's mummy. The character, um, really though, that character was more Imhotep, right? That yeah. that Karloff is bringing to life. This mummy, though, is, is again, probably my favorite mummy design. Um, specifically, this one played by Lon Chaney Jr. Um, he just looks genuinely marred by being burnt alive at the end of the mummy's hand. Honestly, I do see a lot of Michael Myers in this iteration of the monster oh, yeah. and his design. I could definitely see this being an inspiration of sorts. Mm-hmm. Second, I think there's somehow more emotional gravitas to this character. There's more of a will. Like when he hesitates before following Bay's command to kidnap Isabel at first. Mm-hmm. And then the end where, at least to me, he seems to be bringing back Isabel to where Karis believes she belongs, not to Bay, but to Bannings. Um, you could interpret this as him returning to finish the job on the Bannings, or the way I read it, I see it as a rebellion against Bay. And that starts to make Karis the sympathetic mummy, the sympathetic character, which I don't think we've ever had in a mummy before. It's because of this characterization that I wish we got more characterization from some of our leads. I really like Elise Knox as Isabel. Um, She seems great. She's just a nice character. (laughs) But I find John Hubbard 
as Dr. John Banning, the son, to be emotionally mechanical. I mean, he barely reacts to the deaths around him, including his own fathers and aunts, until finally he does react to babes with a, well, I guess we should have believed him. (laughs) Not very compelling, right? Definitely not. I don't feel the same way about the mummy as you do. I don't feel like there's like really any depth to him at all, except for when he wants to choke his master. But I think he just wants to choke him because he's not following his code. And so I don't, I I never felt that way about him. So I think it's interesting. And I kind of want to rewatch some of those moments to see if that's, if maybe I picked that up in it this time around, but I did not feel that way this time around. But, uh, as for Dr. John Banning, uh, yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Like I actually had to rewind it and make sure that he was the son. <laughs> Cause I was like, wait a minute. I thought this guy, I thought that was his dad. Why does he not care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I felt the same way. Like this guy is a sociopath. He could probably kill just <laughs> as many people as the mummy could and not uh-huh. feel anything for those around him. <laughs> like, now I have to say that while I, I don't like the opening of the film, I do find this finale pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the high moments. Like I, I think the characters are fine. I actually think the reprising characters are interesting, and everyone else is bleh. But <laughs> yeah. the, and the mummy is actually really fun. Like you said, Lon Chaney is actually really great in this role. Um, and his role is really like heightened in that final sequence where the house is burning down and there's real fire everywhere. Oh yeah. There's definitely moments where someone got burned by falling on that fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It was remarkably, uh, dangerous. Yeah. Like John Banning falls onto his hat. That's on fire. at one point. I believe it. (laughs) Yes. Like it's cool. Like now some of the choreography is a little ridiculous and not Mm -hmm. very great. But the moments on the balcony, I think, are awesome. There's fire yeah. everywhere. It's oh, real yeah. fire, right? <laughs> we're not we're that not privy to fake like, fire like we are now. No. Um, and so to see all these actors bouncing around with all this fire around them, it getting really close and touching them at times, it's just really cool. And it makes the sequence kind of harrowing and exciting in ways that the other two movies never reached. So, again, I've got to really give this movie its due for doing some really cool stuff. Especially, you know, the the whole fire final battle is a trope of slasher films, too. Like, mm-hmm. always trying to kill these things with fire. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, Alex, just to go back to the beginning comment that you, you made, if you do go back, one of the things that kind of signaled to me that, like, Karis, the mummy here had a little bit more going on, which is the care that he showed Isabel um, whenever he was carrying her, whenever he lays her down. It's weird. Almost like I, I wasn't sure at first if it was, if it was actually bad performance because I'm like, that was very delicately done, you know, by the mummy. Mm. Um, so it was interesting. There maybe, was a small details maybe that, that that's why he's saying care. Yes. He just cares. <laughs> but I, I, I am with you, Alex. The ending of this film is pretty stunning, both in the way that I love and in a way that frustrates me. I already mentioned how I think Karis builds sympathy and empathy for me. But how about that scene that you just mentioned, the banning estate scene? I thought to myself, 
wow, wouldn't it be awesome if they set this place on fire? But I never thought that they would. Uh, <laughs> but then they did. Uh, if you take Karis as a sympathetic monster at the end, like I do, who has finally found his own autonomy, then this scene becomes less about him and becomes more about man's folly and destructive nature, which I think is a valid reading when you just see how careless everyone is with the power they hold in within their hands in the fire, right? Mm. Um, Banning himself gives no thought to the manor and tells everyone directly, burn the mummy if you come across it, right? If it tries to get away, despite the fact that they are in his house. And so within this generational story, Banning burns down his own home, leaving himself with nothing. Uh, I don't think this will happen, but I really hope the next film would just pick back up from here and come back to haunt Banning Jr. (laughs) Because (laughs) despite his mistakes, he still gets the shoehorned in happy ending, which I don't think feels appropriate and does frustrate me to some extent because of how close this was to a perfect ending. Um, Yeah, and you're right, Alex. Those fire effects... (laughs) <laughs> that had to be so dangerous to shoot. It looks so great on screen. I, I was captivated and just like <laughs> wondering, how did they like how did they shoot this? Did right. they just burn down a building and like <laughs> have people on a balcony in a building that's being set on fire? Like <laughs> we've got to go no back idea. to the past. We've got to go back. We've got to no start idea. filming movies like this again. Yeah. Putting oh, people's man. lives in danger. Well, it's real that web. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, I mean, so, it's part of the job. Part, That's right. What you signed up for. That's right. That's right. And no hey, insurance. <laughs> on MVM Plus today, we speak to a longtime friend of the show, David, formerly of the Saved by the Belial podcast. We do some catching up as well as chatting about Fringe, parenting, Moon Knight, and a lot more. You you can hear that talk. It was a fun talk. You can catch that over at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. But Alex, before we get into our awards, uh, we did get a message from none other than Kyoi Toshi. So this is getting cultured with Kyoi Toshi. All right. みんなさんこんにちは。今日へと一緒に学ぼうにようこそ。みんなの大好きな怪獣映画の中で今まで気がつかなかった日本の文化や歴史について。Alright, so first off, Kyoi says, Hi Eric, I'm sure you're planning on doing the 1925 Phantom, but I'd be very interested to hear you do the 1922 Nosferatu and the 1911 Edison Frankenstein, basically the first film versions of Frankenstein and Dracula. Nosferatu in particular is my favorite film, yes, even more than Toku films, although I do like Singular Point better. Well, I, I have seen Nosferatu, and I, I really do like it. We might have to do that one in a vampire-specific series at some point, Alex. I think that would be a fun film to cover. That would be fun. Um, I just yeah. don't. I just do not want to do the Nosferatu by gosh, what's his name? The German director, oh, Herner Warzog. Oh, that movie's awful. <laughs> I've that never seen awful, that. But I want to see I've the original. Seen- I've only seen the 1922 one. Yeah, and it is pretty good. I I, I do really like it. Um, But yeah, I am. We are going to do MVM Plus. It'll be one of the solo episodes. The next silent review will be the 1925 Phantom. Um, But yeah, the 1911 Frankenstein. That seems really interesting. Um, I'm going to have to look that one up. That would be fun to do. 
as well. I think a, a Dracula or vampire specific series, Alex, that reaches beyond oh, yeah. beyond um, Universal would be really fun to do at some point. Oh, for sure. There, there's some good. There's several good uh, vampire movies. There's at least four: Twilight, one, two, three, and four. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> and. <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are a few others. It just nope. none other come to mind right that's now. It. So those uh, don't have Robert Pattinson. That's true. Ooh. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also talking about last week, Alex Invisible Agent Kyoe says. Also, they wouldn't have been able to cast, and this is something that we kind of both agreed upon last week. Uh, but she reiterates here: they wouldn't have been able to cast a Japanese actor for the Baron. This was 1942, and virtually all the Japanese, Japanese-Americans in the Western U.S. had been thrown into concentration camps by the American government. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened with Dr. Daka in the 1943 Batman serial, played by white guy J. Carroll Naish, who you'll see as the hunchback in House of Frankenstein. Oh, so, oh. yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is it is what it is uh, at that point. I, I do think I was thinking about that, Alex. I, I liked your point that you made about being the reflection of kind of America's view of these two countries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if it does it maybe reinforce some of the stereotypes, it's like at what point does a film reflect the feelings of a country versus, you know um, – reinforce those feelings in a negative way. It's interesting. Uh, And there's a balance there, I think. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, let's move into our awards. Compelling character award. Uh, Alex, who'd you have for the compelling character? Yeah, I had the bad guy who I can't remember his name. Is it Andoheb? Who is it? No, Bay. Bay. You're talking about Bay. Yeah. Hey, Bay. Yeah, (laughs) Mehemet. Yeah, yeah, Mohammed Bay. Bay. I actually think he's really interesting, um, mostly because of how weird he is. Uh-huh. Um, I gotta give him some props. You know, he did, he he commits his life to the you know the curse of the mummy and this revenge quest, but he knows what's right and he knows that love at the end of the day is what conquers all. Now, does he try to acquire love by kidnapping? Yeah, maybe, but. At the end of the day, what I hear is that love conquers all. They never really said how to get it. He tried. He didn't know any better. Mm. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just move to my choice then, Alex. <laughs> I already mentioned it. I, I really like Karis in this one. Um, the mummy, for the first time, kind of intrigued me. So... Um, I was intrigued by Karis throughout this entire one. Definitely my compelling character. What about your most memorable line award? The only reason you liked Karis is because Bay was such a influential force on him. Mm-hmm. Did you see how he made him kidnap that lady? Such an influential force. <laughs> <laughs> As for my uh, most memorable line award, um, we... <laughs> is actually from the intro that I don't really care for. Um, our main character from the previous film, uh, Stephen Banning, is talking to his sister. Uh, was it? It's not Isabel Evans. That's the girl, Jane oh. Banning. 
he's talking to his sister and she, you know, he's prattling on and the film actually, I guess maybe even pokes fun at how long it's gone. And he gets annoyed with her. He says, I just get annoyed. And she goes, so does everyone else. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) I I, I felt that one with this woman when, when she said this. Uh, Yeah. They're, they're little back and forth. We're funny. They were good. They were good. What about you? Uh, What do you got? Mine was uh, when the sheriff of the town brings in the two people that had seen the shadow um, and the guy and the girl, like the teenagers, you know, that were in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the guy sheepishly is like, well, you see, we were uh, we were parked along the West County Pike. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, good excuse. Yeah, just, yeah. Park, just park there, mm-hmm. hanging out, listening to music. Uh, as I said, though, Alex, this did have more. <laughs> Uh, it's not smut, but 1942 smut, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. which is definitely more slasher like uh than other films. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, he didn't kill them, which would have no. been very slashery, um, for sure. But <laughs> but they're they miss it because, as I say, they were necking. I think is the term back in necking. the day. Yeah, that's that's what you say. <laughs> what about your can't believe the acting award? I have to give it to somebody uh, from, you know, the original cast from The Mummy's Hand. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's Wallace Ford as Babe Hansen. I mean, I think he's actually, like, really well done. And he's tempered here, where they, they reel back, like, the absurdity of his character that we were seeing at that time. Uh-huh. And make him, you know, the one you hate to see die the most. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you think he might actually get away, because he's you know, the lovable one and he's the one ringing the bell. And then when you see him get killed, it's actually like a pretty surprising moment. I couldn't believe they killed him, but I was, I was like smiling to myself as soon as they get the telegram from babe that he's coming in. I was like, Oh, this is awesome. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because it was like the one character that I remembered from the last film. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, I was like, this is great. They're bringing back the, the whole crew. (laughs) So besides Marta, rest in peace, Marta. Rest in peace. Um, all right. My can't believe that acting award, uh, goes to Turhan Bey as Mehmet Bey. Uh, (laughs) Your your favorite character, Alex. Yeah. Your your bad guy, simp guy. Yeah, he's incredible. Honestly, I thought his performance this is the can't believe the acting award. I thought his performance in the first half of the film was so good. Um and then it was so bad the second half of the film. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> like I was I was already I I had him penciled in this can't believe the acting award for his good acting in the first half of the film as he's kind of taking his vows and as he's planning his scheme. And then he just sees Isabel and he can't even act anymore. Right. Uh, yep. <laughs> and it's like, up. what? This is crazy. Like you, you, <laughs> you completely fell apart uh, halfway through this movie. So that's my, can't believe the acting award. It's a, it's a meta commentary playing on the effects of love, Eric. What about your oh that's a good shot award? <laughs> you just don't even say anything. Um yeah, mine's got to be when they roll into the cemetery for the first time. It's a little bit it's not overhead, but it's a higher mm-hmm. shot angled down and it's just a cool little cemetery, you know? I liked it. It looked good. Um there's not really a whole lot to say about it honestly, but yeah. It just had lots well, of decor decorations, I guess. <laughs> 
Mine doesn't have a lot to say either. Uh, you could choose any any shot, or not any shot, but a lot of shots from that ending climatic fire scene. But mine is before. It's the first time we see the mummy on the prowl. And there's a, there's a long shot of the mummy walking across this bridge. And it's at that moment where you're recognizing the fact that we've brought this, this external threat to this internal town. And it feels like a, a real danger to all of the people in this small town. It's, it's interesting, Alex. Uh, I, I think like there are some interesting parallels between the other film that we're watching this week. And that's one of them, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it, but I think, you know, but it's, it's interesting to bring an external threat into like this, this town um, and, and really see it personified. Um, something that we thought would never happen happens. And I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I like that. <laughs> what about your unique award? Oh, yeah. Mine's uh, <laughs> uh, last to be picked for a team sport award. And okay. this goes to uh, Karis because he always <laughs> chokes. <laughs> oh, geez, dude. That was that was that amazing right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mine is the most likely to walk up on you in an intimate situation and that's your boy bay um, oh. he's he's always there right like he walked up on isabel and and banning making out at least twice um so he's just kind of there creeping like you said um if you simping. can't find love do it by proxy oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> let's move into our final thoughts and tiered rating alex uh final thoughts do you want to go first you want me yeah, to go, I'll first? go first yeah All so right, this is a nice surprise i was super down on this i even told kyoe like not about these not about these mummy movies like at all um but this was a nice surprise uh i really liked it and to see all these slasher elements rear their head in this thing to kill off so many important characters to the last movie in this one. Very awesome. Um, it does hit some bumps in the road. You know, I would love our main character to actually care that his entire family had been murdered. Um, and I would have really liked a little more of our bad guy, you know, him falling in love with somebody with a woman he's never talked to is a little odd and it kind of throws the movie off a little bit for me. But the big finale is a lot of fun. And, you know, this was like an exciting movie to enjoy and just kind of see where it goes. So I got to give this, it's a, uh, it's a gamma tier. And I, this is definitely, definitely the best mummy movie so far. Yeah. What about you? No, I'm with you. Uh, I think this is the best mummy movie so far. And for me, I would. I was looking at my list, Alex, on Letterboxd. Uh, we've watched 15 movies so far. And this actually came in at number six of 15 um, wow. that we've seen. So this is pretty high. It's definitely the highest mummy. It is like, st still a Gamera tier. I, I don't know if it is if you go and rate the movies, Alex. Actually. You might be right. You might be it's right. Still a gamma, it's still a Gamera tier, but it is in the upper portion of that Gamera tier for me. I think it offers us something unique at, that we have not seen before in, in these movies. 
And I think that's partially what, what did it for me. Another thing is, yes, we get that 10-minute recap. And, of course, that's slow. It helped me out, though. <laughs> because again, like I had put that movie behind this, <laughs> like the mummy's hand was, was in my rear view mirror. All right. Uh, so it helped to, to bring it back actually, just to remind me of a couple things. It remind me of, of the characters and babe in particular, which I was pleased to see again. But after those 10 minutes, this is a fast paced movie. You only have 60 minutes to work with. So the rest of the movie, the plot happens in 50 minutes. So it happens really quick and it's all pretty exciting. Like if I was going to showcase just some, just a piece of the mummy for someone that had never seen the mummy movies before these universal mummies before I might say, yeah, just watch the last 45 minutes of the mummy's tomb and you'll have a good time. Right. And you'll see a really amazing fire scene at the end. Right. Um, so this is, I really like this. This was a surprise for me, 100%. That's probably the third reason why I, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, it's just that I wasn't expecting much, and I got a whole lot more than I ever expected. Mm. Yep. Yeah, um, I, I agree. It was a nice surprise. What do we got next week, though, Eric? Next week, we have got Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Oh, boy. I wonder if these are going to be any good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my rhyme isn't any good. So if that's any indication, um, we're, we're probably looking at not very good. We'll see. My, my rhyme is... Okay, go ahead. When, when Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, will the comedy mind meet a dead end? Yeah, that was really bad. Oh, that was really bad. Wow. And you pre- <laughs> you prepared that one. That was, uh, you can tell how much thought I put into it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and then, I think because I figure it's going to be a comedy film, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, it, I don't know. I don't know why I have that feeling. I just I don't see how a, a mashup crossover film is not going to be. But I could be wrong. I think I have no idea. I think we just this is how much research we do into these films. Is I have no idea. <laughs> I just go with my gut. Uh, what about wow. you? What, what's the movie again? Is it Frankenstein versus the Wolfman? Frankenstein meets okay. the Wolfman. Meets the Wolfman. All right. So our next Maybe movie is Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. This movie doesn't contain sand, but will we still be having any mans left yeah. to finish the series? <laughs> Oh, oh man, <laughs> that's that what was, I get. That was rough. I really thought yeah. I had one like knocked out of the park, and then as I started going, yeah. it uh, it drifted my it just away drifted. From my, oh man, all right. <laughs> as always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback on the Mummy's Tomb at mvmpod.com or email us at mvmpod at gmail.com and we'll read that feedback on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at MVM underscore pod. Become a bargain base mite at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't join at this time, a review or a share always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, rock band for PlayStation 3, which formed Cell Block B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time.
Don't. Ignore that a mummy is killing your entire family, and then let that best friend that told you about it die as well. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Was a creepy stalker kidnap you, though? Maybe. But love nonetheless.